Welcome to another edition of the It's Cavalier podcast. As always, it's your boy Mac. Joining me today in place of my co-host Corey Walsh is our boy from the Cleveland Post, Jeffrey Santa. How you doing, brother? Hey, Mac. I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. Excited to talk Cavs. I know the NFL season is right around the corner, <laughs> but you know the Cavs are not too far away. And I think you know me and you alike, we just can't wait for this upcoming season. So let's get into it. Absolutely. As of recording this, NFL football is slated to start tomorrow, but this is a Cavaliers podcast, so I won't, I'll try not to stray too far outside of the uh, winding cold lines. But man, with that being said, it is always good to have new points of view on this team that we call our favorite in the Cavaliers. And with that in mind, I don't think we ever actually have had the opportunity to talk shop on just how you felt about the way the 2022-23 season ended. So I have two questions for you first off. Mm -hmm. Jeff, first off, did the Cavs meet your expectations for the 2022-23 season? So I will say tentatively they did because we saw a significant improvement, what I like to call a significant improvement from the year prior. Obviously, you avoid the play-in altogether. Good sign. And, of course, with intern, you know, that being the case, you get a playoff series and a home playoff se- series to boot. What, what kind of bothered me about how I can't give a full 100% yes, we knocked it out of the park is just – how the season ended. I'm sure we'll talk about that, but I just wish that we would have saw a little bit more fight from the guys as far as the five game series that resulted in us losing to the Knicks. Now we have constantly heard the reasoning behind the way that that series ended, right? The rebounding woes, the the shooting woes, the rotation itself, coaching, lack of adjustments. We've heard it all by right now. If you had to just point to your own evaluation of this entire thing what would you say was the biggest issue heading into that series so really i think it was a couple of things and i think this 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 first issue kind of goes out the window after last year but even with the addition of donovan mitchell i just don't think we still had enough playoff experience to be ready all around top down even from you know even all the way to the top room from the general manager's position to definitely JB and then subsequently the players, it's just something that you can't really practice for. You know, you could talk about it, you could prepare for it as best as possible, but it's not like you can replicate it in, you know, drills or practice, however you want to, you know, talk about the playoffs. You really have to get some experience under your belt. And then the second thing is, just the toughness. And that's what I don't think is being talked about enough this offseason. I think that me and you will agree that the Cavs have made considerable offseason moves to address some issues from last year that we saw in the playoff series. But I don't know if we really hit on that toughness upgrade. Now, maybe Struess, you know, maybe he's a bulldog. <laughs> maybe he maybe he plays hard and we just didn't watch him a lot in Miami. And maybe Niang is the same way, but I just feel like even down low, you know, Mobley will improve as far as toughness. You hope Jared Allen takes that next step, but I just feel like the Knicks wanted it more night in and night out in that series, and that's something that needs to be addressed. Honestly, I felt the same way. I mean, it's fine to win 50-plus games in the regular season. J.B. Bickerstaff has done an excellent job year after year of elevating that win total. He can point to that in terms of growth and development. But when the time came, the time that we were all waiting for, the first non-LeBron James playoff appearance, we kind of shit the bed. I mean, it was just not a – it was not appointment viewing, at least on our end. Knicks fans, they, 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 they chirp, they chirp, they chirp. You know, we did the best we could on Cavs Twitter to keep them at bay. But, I mean – The Cavs just added fuel to the fire. Nobody seemed to want to be there. Um, You know, a few performers in particular actually played like they wanted to be there. Karis LeVert, um, Isaac Okoro in the limited time that he saw. Uh, But most of the Cavs just seemed like they were absolutely deflated after, you know, the first two losses. So I don't know. Like, I'm... I'm very optimistic. You know me, man. I'm a very optimistic dude. For sure, for sure. Um, but I cannot help but think, with even with the additions of George Niang, even the addition of Max Struess, um, to a lesser extent, Dame Jones, I don't quite know if we have that toughest element. 
Um, there just doesn't seem to be a single player on this roster that you can point to and say, man, that motherfucker, he's gritty. <laughs> he's right, going to go right. out there. He's going to want to go out there and just rip somebody's heart out. I just don't see it. Um, in previous Cavs rosters, you know, we had Matthew Della We had guys like J.R. Smith who would, mm-hmm. wouldn't take mm-hmm. any shit. Um, I don't even, see it. Even last year, I mean, you could – I didn't think it was m- mostly because of his role, but – Lamar Stevens was that guy to me, and I think that a lot of people, that's why they were up in arms. He didn't see more minutes in that series. Now, obviously, not with the team anymore, but it's even the like just like being there in person to Mac, you know, being at two, two home games of that series, both losses. I just like it's the little things like when you watch when you watch the TV broadcast, you could kind of tell, obviously, that, you know, maybe the Knicks were out hustling us. Maybe they were better coached. Maybe they were more prepared to play. But when you're actually at the game and the the play in between the lines stops and, you know, the cameras cut away for, for people watching on TV. But then you get to see, you know, the players go back to the bench, how the huddles are kind of conducted as far as timeouts. And like you said, you just had guys who younger guys, you know, Mobley, even DG, even Donovan Mitchell at some points, like looking around in the huddle, like almost like the moment you could tell was way too big for them. Absolutely. And, you know, obviously Jared Allen caught a ton of flack for his very human statement. Uh, right. uh, you know, the lights were too bright. He's going to continue to catch shit for that <laughs> until he uh, yep. redeems himself. But it took a lot of guts to admit that. And I, I am sure I am 100% certain that he was not the only player feeling that sentiment. He just was the only one with the guts to actually say it. It's not something you want your, when your stars or core, uh, core members of your rotation to come out and say, but it is something that I feel like isn't was understood. Um, even when you have guys out there who have playoff experience in Donovan Mitchell, uh, in Ricky Rubio, you know, Jared Allen himself to an extent, right. Um, it just seemed like the moment was definitely too big for them and that nobody was truly prepared for that type of atmosphere. And we we have heard constantly time and time again that Madison Square Garden, that is a tough place to play at. Um, the lights Absolutely. are bright there. <laughs> uh, but, you know, looking past that, obviously, you know, it was five game series. It was brutal. But looking past that, if you had to just point to a positive exiting that series, would, could you find any positives in that series? Uh, I think the clear-cut winner for me is that like, I feel like you have the harder part of the equation figured out um, as far as what we held them to offensively. Just looking at the points they scored per game – that on a normal basis, you know, let's take that defensive performance from the Cavs across a six or a seven game series. That's going to win you a lot of series if the offense is even a tick above average. And we know that it was far below average, especially for NBA standard and even just the Cavs standard for that series. So I think what's overlooked in today's NBA is defense. And that's where JB should get his flowers and get his props because. He does that well. He gets players to buy in who really have no history of being good, you know, on the defensive side of the ball until they get to him as a coach. But I think that's the biggest takeaway for me is that you really did get stops when you needed to. You might not have always got the rebounds after the stops. That's a different issue. But <laughs> I mean, as long as the offense comes along and you made offensive improvements in the offseason, I think that there's, you know, there's an opportunity to have a better outing this upcoming season for sure. I mean, I would agree. I mean, they through that playoff series, they had the number one rated defense. We obviously know how great they were during the regular season on that end, and they were pretty highly rated offensively as well, as well, despite playing one of the slowest paces in the league. <laughs> um, if a few more shots went their way, I think we're talking about we're having an entirely different discussion. Um, I think that series was perfectly winnable, but obviously things just didn't go our way. People just didn't seem to really uh, be up to the moment, and we just hope that they take that as a learning experience. That's the way I look at it. Um, I never truly saw the 2022-23 season as something to which the Cavs absolutely had to go out there and win a playoff series. It would have been nice, but it wasn't necessarily something that I felt was do or die. Right. That's different. 
heading into the 2023-24 season, obviously. But last year, um, I think, still fit within the timeline. Um, That's really all that I could say in regards to that, just because I feel like it was such a letdown. Uh, But with that said, man, we've had a really good offseason thus far. It, It hasn't been... It hasn't been a plus offseason, but I feel it's been really good. The Cavs ended up lucking out into former top 10 draft prospect Amani Bates, a player who is clearly raw and flawed, but has seemingly immense potential as an offensive threat. Mm-hmm. The guys drawn comparisons to Kevin Durant. I recently saw the comparison uh, being made to J.R. Smith on you all's YouTube channel recently. And yep. I love that. Yep. Appreciate <laughs> uh, that. Yes, for sure. It was excellent work, by the way. And for those of you who haven't seen it, I'll place a link to it in the description. It's excellent work. Um, Cleveland also had one of the more underrated signings of this offseason and bringing in undrafted rookie point guard Craig Porter Jr., mm-hmm. who absolutely filled up the stat seat in summer league play earlier this offseason. Man, Jeffrey, that dude is a bundle of energy at yep. 6'2". And if developed correctly, could end up being a very nice role player down the line, in my opinion. He's just ready to play, and it's so it's just been really kind of Kobe's strong suit is finding guys like that where you could they're not gonna be perfect, but they're ready to play and they just look comfortable on the basketball court. I mean, that's that's one of the biggest things in the National Basketball Association for me, is that you get these a lot of players who come out of college and even your top flight prospects don't look comfortable on the basketball floor a good majority of the time, but their talent, their skills make up for it. Craig Porter Jr. is not going to be an all NBA type of guy, but he's mm-hmm. going to do the little things right for you. It seems like every night and that's something you could work with and you need guys like that on your roster to win championships. Even if it's just in a developmental stage, if he makes somebody, you know, a little bit better at practice every day. If he's on the roster, you know, pushing for a competition for minutes, however you want to slice it up, I'm glad that we have him and he's a Cavalier for sure. What was your initial reaction of both of those additions? So my initial reaction was Bates was really the only person who made sense right there for where we are and to actually make that selection. And truthfully, as far as CPJ, I didn't know anything about him, but I heard that he – you know, he had some promising tape um, as far as someone who went undrafted, but he really shined in the summer league. And that was, that's, I, lo- I love the summer league. I know you have to take it with a grain of salt, but <laughs> both guys looked good. You know, it's not like that they were afraid to have the basketball in their hands, to shoot the ball. And they, they played in a system too, which is something that I really appreciated. It took a little bit longer. I feel like for Bates took a couple of games, but they eventually made it into what seemed to be the Cavalier structure. And that's good to see, of course. Yeah. I mean, when I look at both of these guys, I, especially in the case of Bates, I feel like this guy is, you know, a boomer bust type of pick. This is a, this is a kid who could certainly turn into a star if, brought along slowly in my opinion i know there's varying degrees of opinion out there about that some people believe he should be immediately involved in the rotation at some capacity some people believe he should kind of be brought along slowly like i do but the the thing that i think everybody has in mind for him is that this kid has star potential and then when you look at craig porter jr he just does all the little things. I mean, he's he's a bundle of energy, like I said. Very rarely do you see a six foot two guard out there snatching seven plus boards in summer league action. It was yep. very Russell Westbrookian, and Rajon Rondo ish. Mm. Uh, that's one of the players that he modeled himself after, which you can definitely see it in his game. But when I see those two, I see a, a future. In, in a Cavs uniform, as always, you never quite know with some of these undrafted types or some of these second round selections, but there is certainly a path to minutes eventually down the line for them if the Cavs are willing to kind of uh, give them the runway to do so. Uh, so for me, I think it doesn't even just stop there. You look at the possibility of the team converting Isaiah Mobley. Uh, at a certain point in time, what are your thoughts on him? Do you did you like the the tape that he put on at summer league? Yeah, I, I did. I mean, he looks good, and I think that you know you, you know he's more of a player than this comparison. But I mean, is he can't? I don't see how he gives you any less 
than Robin Lopez gave you last year. So not, not that that should be the standard because I think that we have avoided the backup five position for a good decent amount of seasons here as far as the Cavaliers, you know, obviously through the rebuild and then these last two years. But it's like I'm cool with the chemistry. I like having brothers on the squad. I think that you've seen success in that in the NBA, which is just an interesting trend to note. But can he be that guy? I don't think they're sold yet because of the Damian Jones acquisition because it sounds like we have been somewhat rumored and somewhat tied to players like, you know, JaVale McGee, Christian Wood, who obviously has signed with the Lakers at this point. But, you know, just I don't I think Mob, Isaiah Mobley is close, but he's not quite there yet where Kobe and JB are like, OK, we're just going to give you the reins to the backup five and we know it's going to go pretty decent. Yeah, they have two roster spots open right now. Um, I still think that they're likely to bring in at least one more veteran presence, um, preferably, at least in my opinion, preferably at the center position and maybe out at the wing. Um, I feel like we're pretty good at guard, and if you really wanted to, depending how the Ricky Rubio situation plays right. out, you could always convert Craig Porter Jr., um, there's a, a litany of options there that Kobe has. Um, free agents, you know, the free agent market is is dwindling down, as we all know, you know, with the uh, with the signing of Christian Wood uh, yesterday. But there are some other options out there. Um, and with that in mind, man, like we know heading we, we knew heading into this offseason that Kobe wasn't just going to sit on his ass, especially yep. after so many complaints from the fan base. And I say that. It, comically just because kobe don't listen to us <laughs> right, right uh you know there's always going to be fan pressure but this front office is it remains pretty tight-lipped about what it would like to do and like i said he did not sit on his ass he got busy he executed a sign and trade for sharpshooter max Struess. he uh he brought in george niang a quality shooter he acquired damian jones pretty raw big man with the potential uh, and then last but not least, probably one of my favorite moves from the front office so far this offseason, and that was retaining Karis LeVert on a very manageable short-term contract. And those of you who listen to this podcast know how big of a fan of LeVert that I am, although he can be very uh, divisive at times in terms of his play. But I feel with the the limited assets that were at his disposal in the cap space available – Felt like it was a pretty damn good offseason. And we knew heading in that there were some serious holes to fill, whether it's depth at the four or five or floor spacing out on the wing, uh, backup point, um, all that considered. I think it's been, like I said, a quality offseason for Kobe and the rest of the front office. And with that being the case, Jeffrey, do you feel the cast have done enough to shore up the holes on the roster thus far? So I will say they they have, but the the second part of that statement is that they have if these players continue to to grow in their development if Evan Mobley gets you know 10 15% better um, if Darius Garland follows suit and continues his trajectory you know retains his all-star status if Donovan Mitchell continues to give you what he gives you um, if Jared Allen becomes more physical more emphasis on you know being a rebounder when it matters the answer is yes. If a lot of those things don't happen, the, the answer is no. And that's kind of like it's like straddling the question like in the middle. But that's just how I I think it that's how you win in today's NBA. Um, I think that everybody refers to outside of the the two championships with with Kevin Durant, you know, outs that's how the Warriors have done it. So, you know, obviously Curry. Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, you know, they developed those guys. Sure, you know, they're probably three Hall of Famers. You're not going to get that lucky. But, you know, <laughs> you, br- you bring guys along, you know, they drafted Jordan Poole, and they still brought in outside assets to help with the development of those guys and to make sure that the roster stayed complete. So, I mean, I think that you see that with a lot of other teams. You know, I think Oklahoma City's trying to do somewhat of the same path. Um, Miami's always done that. I feel like to a good degree and we're getting away from these super teams. Like you don't see the era of the big three is, is pretty much over. You know, you have a big two if you're lucky and then the deeper team really just rolls all the way to the top. I think the nuggets are a perfect example. You have the MVP candidate, you have Jamal Murray, and then you have 
not a huge gap, but you have a gap. And then all these tertiary players who are really, really good, you know, Bruce Brown comes to, to comes to mind right away. So the Cavs are there. They're close. They're still young, but we could use that to our advantage as far as continuing to build the roster. And that is an excellent comparison. I think, you know, the big three era is pretty much dead, especially with the CBA now being what it is. The development of players um, that you draft is going to be of the utmost importance. Uh, to me, the Cavs have done pretty decent in regards to that with the likes of Darius Garland, you know, being an all-star caliber point guard, Evan Mobley being an all-world defender and hopefully making his first all-star appearance this season. Um, you're never going to quite get away from acquisitions. Uh, anytime a big-time star is available and you can acquire them for what I would consider a fair price, um, you know, you jump at that. And they, the Cavs obviously did that with Donovan Mitchell. Um, it is as big as a fan as I was of Lowry Markkinen and Colin Sexton. Um, you know, and was I was very excited to possibly see Ochai Abaji play. Uh, but anytime you can acquire a player like Donovan Mitchell, you do it. And so I say all that to say the Cavs have done pretty damn good in regards to internal development. Um, it remains to be seen whether or not J.B. Bickerstaff is the man to bring things all together. If he's going, if it's all going to culminate in championship or contender level basketball. Uh, but I think they've done a pretty good job of rounding out the roster, especially after this offseason. They 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 shored up the shooting woes. Um, they were able to go out there and, and retain cares. They brought in some, uh, a, a very good mix of, of talent in my opinion. And you, you also have some, some new blood in the building in Craig Porter Jr. And Imani Bates. Um, there's just a lot of different things here, a lot of different routes they can go obviously in regards to the rotation, but I like where we're at. Um, it's still a work in progress. It's not something that is going to immediately, uh, result in the Cavs making the leap to uh, the 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 conference series, but it's definitely something that I could see that could help elevate them in terms of the tiers in the East, uh, especially with all the shuffling that's going on and some of the uncertain uncertainties with uh, teams like the Philadelphia 76ers and Boston Celtics, uh, things of that nature. Uh, I want to shift gears here a little bit since I brought up Donovan Mitchell. Now, we knew that Donovan Mitchell was a star. I myself, you know, I didn't get to watch a ton of him. Obviously, him playing in Utah. Who's who? The fuck is watching Utah basketball? Right. If you're, Especially if you're West Coast, West Coast games. <laughs> who the hell is watching Utah basketball prior to that? <laughs> um, you got to be really dedicated. Uh, but it started off with a bang, and when I say that, I mean the Donovan Mitchell era. It started off with a bang. The man legitimately gave us one of the best seasons from a statistical standpoint in franchise history uh, putting up numerous career highs including points uh, with 28.3 points per game and a field goal percentage at 48.4 percent he played some of the most efficient basketball of his career and out to his first all nba nod there was the 71 point game the dunk on you watanabe the sham got three jeez uh, man so many fun moments and then Bam, Mitchell pulls kind of a disappearing act against the Knicks. So, Jeff, I just want to ask, what do you expect from Donovan Mitchell in year two in Cleveland now, knowing what he brings to table firsthand? And more importantly, what are your expectations for this Cleveland team moving forward? So I think I'm expecting more of the same from last year, but just in a different offensive role and offensive scheme. I think last year, while – it proved for fun moments and you know great entertainment, and it was always a pleasure to watch as far as the regular season. It really just ended up being in a lot of games, especially against better opponents or teams that were on our level. It was really just ended up being okay. Hopefully, Mitchell, you know, kind of carries us across the finish line. I just don't want it to be that this year. And even you know, take Darius Garland for an example. You, you had games where. Everybody, you know, sitting at home was like, okay, Darius Garland is playing better than Donovan Mitchell this game. Hopefully he bails us out at the end. I want a consistent group of guys who can go down in crunch time and conduct an offensive play that is cohesive and makes sense to get us a bucket, whether it's a two, whether it's a three, whether it's attempting to draw, draw a foul, 
however you want to do it. I just need more team structured basketball this year and not in the boring way, you know, not in the, in the junior varsity, you know, high school (laughs) basketball way, but it's like, we just can't, you can't really win like that anymore. If you don't have a top three to five guy, if you're a top three to five guy, you could do that and you could really carry a roster as far as you want to carry them. We've seen that for years, especially, you know, with LeBron James, but I love Donovan Mitchell. He's not that. So unless he elevates his play to like, okay, he's leading, you know, it's January or February and we're like, he's first in MVP voting a hundred percent still. If he's not that, which I don't think he will be, I don't think he needs to be. Then I just need to see him elevate other players as far as being able to not have to be the guy all the time. And that's going to come from JB. That's going to come from other people getting better and having the confidence to do it. I think that's your upside with Struess. You know, you draw, you could draw up a lot of plays for these guys that we acquired in the offseason. You know, I mean, could I see Imani Bates having, you know, maybe a, a drawn up game winning shot for him at, you know, closer to the middle tail end of the year? I wouldn't totally rule it out quite yet. I don't think he's at that level, but you have some of these guys who were you know, built for the bigger moments. And that's what I like moving forward. Yeah. So, uh, Corey, he coined a, a pretty funny term in regards to that, in regards to the phenomenon of Donovan <laughs> Mitchell, basically just, I'm not going to say ball hogging, but the guy having to carry us to, to, to victories quite often last season. And he coined the term Mitchell in the Mitchettes, uh, something <laughs> oh, that we that's saw. Great. Yeah. Something that we saw a lot last season, man, and it, it kind of reminded me of Kyrie and LeBron's you know, first year or two together when they're like trying to figure out, hey, is it your turn? Is it my turn? Uh, we kind of see this from time to times with, with duos or sometimes even big threes. Um, we saw it in the Heat, you know, the Heat era, the Heat big three era with LeBron and D-Wade at times, trying to figure out, hey, how do we coexist? How do we make it so that we are both on at the same time in the same game? Um, We saw that far too often between Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell last season, and I'm hoping that we see less of it. Um, But to be honest, I think a lot of that is going to, like you said, it's going to fall on the shoulders of those other players. It's not necessarily going to be so much Donovan Mitchell having to decrease his workload. It's going to be other players stepping up and 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 trying to take that workload from him. Um, players like Darius Garland, um, even more importantly, in my opinion, Evan Mobley. Yep. I want yep. to see a, a offensive leap from Evan Mobley, and I'm hoping that he is able to take – a, a good deal of that offensive workload off of the guards' shoulders. Um, but specifically in regards to Donovan Mitchell, I think we'll see another efficient season of basketball. I'm expecting it, um, especially with more spacing involved in, in terms of the starting unit, as I'm assuming, and I guess I should go ahead and ask this. I assume that after what you paid, the price to acquire Max Struess that he is instantly going to be named the starter. But how do you feel about that? Are you immediately removing uh, Isaac or Karras from the starting unit and bumping up Struess immediately? So I agree with your thought process because that's how I would look at it. Um, and I, and I, I can't stand that this is my opinion, but I, I just don't know if, if JB is like, I don't know if he thinks like that. And I don't know if you can, if you're a coach, like, okay, you know, him and Karis make the same amount of money, but, you know, we retain Karis, but we really, the push was for Struess, and we really had shooting woes last year in the playoffs. Sure, Karis can get hot from deep, but Struess is that guy. So I'd start him immediately. Um, With that being said, I'll give you two more points resulting from that move. First of all, which I think is kind of the easy one, the clear-cut one, um, Dean Wade is the odd man out on this roster. Um, I don't see a role for him. I don't see how he gets minutes. Maybe I'm proved wrong. Number two, I think that, and this is coming from my point of view, I, I feel like maybe you are a little bit more aware than maybe perhaps your audience how I'm not the biggest Okoro believer as far as let's just put it out like that. But the <laughs> yeah. people, the people who are, and who also liked the signings this season are going to be upset come December, come January, when Okoro either isn't in the rotation or 
you know, one of these, like, let's just say it's, it's, it's a coin flip between Niang and Okoro for minutes. And I think if you actually go through the roster player by player, that's, that's kind of your tandem right there. Like if there's 30 minutes divided between both of them, it might be like 15 and 15 until we need the shooting or until we need the defense, then it'll kind of tilt back and forth. But I could see definitely Dean Wade being the, the first guy to kind of be stuck on the bench, you know, the, the, the bench black hole, and then if you see success with Niang where our defense doesn't take a huge, huge drop, but our three-point percentage is that much better, I could see Okoro trending that way, not just based on this new roster look, but, I mean, just look at JB's history with the guy. And however you like it, if you like JB, if you like Okoro, if you like them both, if you dislike <laughs> them both, Okoro don't, don't, doesn't play in these big games. He really didn't play in the playoff series. Like I said, you could have your opinions about that. He was Basically not played in the two um, playing games a year ago, if, if my memory serves me correctly. Definitely not in the Atlanta game. He might have saw some minutes in the Brooklyn game now that he I think about it. after missing a couple of threes. But it's like it's like you're up against JB and, o, and Okoro's like lack of what we brought Niang and Struess in to fill that hole. Now, if he thinks that he's on the hot seat – And his three-point shooting gets considerably better. You know, you're pushing into, you know, consistent, you know, 30%, 35% from Okoro. It's going to be awesome for, you know, us covering the team rotation-wise. It's going to be awesome to watch because if Okoro's out there knocking down shots, we are a different team. I just don't know if he's going to be able to get to that level and stay to that level because – I feel like he gets better the more he plays. When he when JB has to play him 35, 40 minutes a game, he's he looks better the more that he plays. And my evidence of this is when he comes off of injuries. In the past, he's had these kind of, you know, smaller injuries where he's missed a little bit of time. Maybe he's missed 10 total days and it's only end up being like four actual games. He's really slow out of the gate. Like he almost needs he needs like three or four games to get back to even what he was before he left with the injury. So I think he's a product of where he fits in the rotation. If he plays a lot, I think you could see him continually get better. If he's taking a backseat to Niang, I think it's going to be tough for him to see some minutes. Yeah, I mean, when I look at Okoro, I'm I'm a huge fan still. I I believe that he could definitely get better. I feel like he had been progressing prior to missing the final four weeks of the regular season and then kind of being thrown out there in the playoffs. Um, off of that bone bruise, I believe that was the injury. Uh, but you have to look at his last 100 games. I believe he's shooting 37% from three-point range and a little over 23 minutes per game. But the problem has always been with the Coro is volume, right? Like yep. only taking two or three threes a game, maybe making somewhere close to 40% of those. But with the lack of volume, how can you really equate that to progression? Um, and, and that's just me being honest. Like I would like to see the guy take four to five threes a game, but the problem now with the addition of Struess, with the addition yep. of Niang, with the progression of Evan Mobley, who we hope is able to continuously try and, you know, develop floor spacing abilities. And then, you know, the, the shot attempts are the, they're, the guards are going to get a healthy diet of those. Right. So where do those shots come from? Um, that's going to be the problem for me. I, I'm not so much going to harp on the play time because I feel like it's going to be there. I think he'll get at least – it could be scenario-specific, as you pointed out. You know, do they need defense? Do they need shooting? What do they need more of at any point in their matchups? But I feel like he'll I feel like he'll have a definitive rotation spot. I'll put it that way um, at this point in time. I the, the thing that he has working in his favor is obviously his level of defense, right? Um, you're already, if you decide that you're going to start Struess, you're going to be essentially trotting out three subpar defenders in Darius Garland, Donovan Mitchell to a degree, and Max Struess. Although Max can compete, we've seen him in the heat system. He'll go out there, he'll hustle. But I feel like a Quarrel's calling card is still going to remain his defense. I feel like that will get him minutes. Um, but the problem again is volume and how, how do you add to the offense? How do you add to this rotation without being able to take as many shots as you would have been afforded in previous seasons? And he wasn't even really getting that much to begin with. It's decreased every single season. So how do you, how do you remain impactful when you're not, when you don't have the ball in your hands? You know, 
things of that nature. That's I feel like that's going to be the questions that JB and Isaac are going to have to ask themselves. Um, purely looking at the rotation, uh, since we're moving in that direction right there, um, the Cavs, man, it, at least in my opinion, in my estimation, they have something that they haven't really had in a while, and that's roster versatility. Mm. They can go in a ton of different directions with the rotation. So I guess my overall question to you is, what do you think the rotation, the initial rotation, will look like in game one? So I think that this, and while I agree with you, I think that the versatility is a factor, but I look at it as versatility in the sense where we have all these options, but once you find what you think is your optimal option, stay in that lane. Oh, not, yeah. ver- not versatility like, oh, let's try a bunch of different stuff all year long. You know, you might have you might have the first one to three months of the season of that, but after that, I don't see how that's viable moving forward. And I think this really goes back to the offseason moves and what a lot of people aren't, I haven't seen a lot of people talk about this, Mac, is that because of who we brought in, that defined the roles for people on the roster who last year who were maybe trying to do too much. You think of Karis LeVert, he was kind of had to be a Swiss army knife. Maybe you're like, okay, you don't have to score as much now, Karis, just be a facilitator and a scrappy defender. Okay, perfect. Okoro, you know, you don't have to shoot threes at a high level anymore. Don't forget about it. It's nice if you can, but be a lockdown defender. If we have to start you in places true some games because, you know, we're going up against a Jason Tatum, you know, we're going up against a, a Kawhi Leonard, you know, stuff like that. Same way with Struess and Niang. Okay, you guys are your three-point shooters. I think I think uh, Darius Garland has had a pretty defined role last year, you know, ball handler, facilitator. Donovan Mitchell, pretty good role. Jarrett Allen in that same vein. Even goes for Evan Mobley. Okay, Evan, you know, you don't have to put 40% of your practice time into shooting threes. We we made that better this offseason. So don't forget about it. You know, don't totally stop working on it, but Work on your post moves more, work on your rebounding more, and you know continue to be a good defender. So with all that being said, I think it's DG, Donovan. I would personally start Struess at the three, Mobley and Allen. And then I think that your first person off the bench gets really, really, really interesting just because how JB operates and how I could remember what he did last year. And I know that it's not the same, but... I think a sneaky contender for somebody to see minutes is Ty Jerome, especially with the Rubio situation. Obviously, we'll monitor that moving forward. But I think Levert comes off the bench first, and then it's a coin flip between either it's a coin flip between Niang and Okoro, and then your third level is your Damian Joneses and your Ty Jerome. But I think Ty Jerome's like the clear winner at that third position, and even maybe ahead of like Niang and Okoro in some situations, just because JB just likes guards out there. I don't know what it is. Maybe it was was (laughs) Rubio specific, but it was like, okay, let's take DG out and put Rubio, and let's take uh, Donovan Mitchell out and put Rubio in. So I don't know if that'll continue, but I wouldn't be surprised if it did. Oh, for sure. I mean, as much as we saw Darius Donovan, Karis out there at times, you saw some lineups with Darius Donovan and Rubio. Right. I mean, you saw some odd things, and I think some of that was the result of a lack of options last season. So JB was just kind of throwing some different things out there, and I think you'll probably see that in the initial points of this season. But as you pointed out, you want to solidify that rotation at some point. Um, I feel like the time for experimentation will have, you know, it'll have its day. It'll probably be the first 15 to 20 games or so of yep. the season. And yep. that's perfectly fine when you're trying to integrate new pieces into a rotation. Uh, because after all, I mean, basically the Cavs, after saying, you know what, we have our we have our core four and then we have two to three additional pieces who we know are going to be rotational locks uh, most likely. And uh, obviously Darius Garland, Donovan Mitchell, um, Karis LeVert, Isaac Okoro, Jared Allen. Um, And then you look at the addition, obviously of Struess, who's a lock to play, right? Um, Niang is going to get a solid amount of run. I don't know how much from game to game, but I feel like his ability to play the power forward position will definitely aid him in regards to minutes. Uh, but I still feel like we're going to be seeing a lot of small ball. 
Um, the Cavs, you know, they did bring in Damian Jones, but who the hell knows how much minutes or how much run he'll actually get. And right. then, as you pointed out, Dean Wade is kind of the odd man out. And personally, just on a personal level, I feel like that sucks. But it's just the nature of the, you know, of yep. the business. A lot um, of it was unlucky for sure. I know what you mean. Yeah, that AC joint sprain really kind of just threw everything out of order for him because there were he had a couple of games last season where you could kind of see, hey, the 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 point that Kobe and in the front office were were trying to make in regards to letting Love walk so that Dean Wake potentially step into that role. There were points during the season prior to that injury where you could possibly see him adding some level of that, maybe not right. necessarily Kevin Love levels, but being a valuable contributor off the bench when they need him to be. And that just isn't the case uh, or hasn't been the case thus far. And so I'm hoping, again, it's another chance. But I'm, I, if I was a betting man, I'd say he starts the season outside of the rotation and through no fault of his own. <laughs> Uh, the roster just upgraded in a major way. Um, all of that being said, do you feel more confident if if you had to battle the Knicks specifically? Because I feel like the one thing that that was not necessarily addressed the offseason was bringing in a rebounding presence. Right. Um, do you feel any better about having to go up against teams like that, some of the tougher, grittier teams out there that hustle? That that's kind of like my thing with the whole discussion because it all comes back to these offseason acquisitions really aren't going to amount to much if nobody else improves. And I think that that's that's kind of like the easy way out. That's uh, that should be obvious for spectators, for fans, for people who cover the team like us because I think it's evident to say, you know, oh, could could, could we play any worse in another you know, seven game series against the Knicks. The answer is likely no, but sometimes, you know, teams and matchups, one roster just has the other team's number and that's just how it goes. So I can't say that I'm over the moon where I would, where I'm like, oh yeah, you know, we'd sweep them, you know, we'd, we'd, we'd gentlemen sweep them, be the opposite way around quite yet. And that's, that's, you could say that's a knock on us, but at the end of the day, you know, the Knicks were a good team last year. I just, I think that the frustration kind of stemmed from that it was a first round exit, <laughs> but no, no one was saying that, like, I don't, like, we had the better record. We were the home team, but I don't think that you could have definitively said at the end of the day that we were the clear cut, better roster. And they just, you know, they were the underdog and upset us and beat us. It was a pretty even matchup. And I know that it doesn't help that, you know, they kind of walked into the Miami series and didn't have much success, but that's good for us, you know. That should be the tape all offseason as far as I'm concerned, as far as JB, as far as how Kobe made some of his decisions. You know, what did Miami do substantially better than us that, you know, New York just couldn't hang with? So I think it's interesting. I think no two seasons are alike. And while I can't make a comment that, oh, yeah, we would smash the Knicks if we seen if we saw them again, <laughs> this season definitely has a lot more pressure to me, though, for a lot of reasons. And I'm sure that, you know, it's you feel similarly. Oh, absolutely. I, you know, man, I've been an avid defender of, uh, of JB Bickerstaff, Kobe Altman. I've been very supportive of both, but I cannot, after witnessing that postseason, the hot seat is very hot for JB Bickerstaff. Maybe not so much Kobe Altman, but if JB Bickerstaff doesn't at least, at the very fucking least, win one playoff series yeah. in the 2023-24 season, he's gone. Yep. And I have no problem saying that. And I feel like that is the correct course of action because you've kind of given him a runway. Um, you know, first season um, got ruined by COVID, um, you know, obviously uh, to a certain degree. Steps in, wins 22 games. I'm not going to count the interim, you know, five and six record that he had after taking over for John Beeline. Uh, so we'll go directly 22 wins, 44 wins, 54, uh, 51 wins. That's great. I, I'm glad the track record there is mm-hmm. elevation in regards to regular season success. But now the time has come, especially with the roster that Kobe Altman has put in place for JB Bickerstaff to take that next step. And that next step is winning at least one postseason yep. series. Yep. Um, the regular season's out the window. You know, if we if we only win 49 regular season games and we win a playoff series, it's like you have to move with the expectations. And I agree with you, you know. 
the first, you know, the 11 games, whatever. And, and he's progressed every year, but I just don't get how, like when I go back and look at his, at his coaching tenure, cause I didn't know much about him, honestly, before he took over for beeline. And I mm-hmm. believe he was an interim in Houston the year they went to the playoffs. And that's a small sample size too, but it's like, I hear people say, Oh, he's never had to coach this caliber of player or, you know, he maybe this is the best roster he's gotten. You know, he was with us through the rebuild, and I get that. But that's that season that he was the interim or the one year he was with Houston. You know, he would have basically had primes James James Harden, not a whole lot of other help around him, and just not a good playoff. You know, performance. I believe they ran into Golden State that year, which is you know part in what happened. But his his ability to maximize people in the playoffs has not been seen yet. So like you stated at the top of this discussion, you know, it is kind of do or die for him as far as a playoff series, because that's what he's getting graded on right now. Yeah. I mean, you look at the tenure that he had, he had a stop in Memphis as well, was not necessarily that successful. I, I attribute a lot of that to the roster that he had in place, but he had really I don't know if you can really say he had no excuses in his one in his lone real actual season coaching James Harden and company, but I will say that it did not leave the best taste in a lot of people's mouths, which is why he was ultimately let go. Right, right. Uh, one in four record that while he was there in Houston, ran into the buzzsaw that was the Golden State Warriors, and with the series loss against New York, his postseason record has now dropped down to two and eight, which is obviously not great, but he can help remedy a ton of that and get closer to 500 in regards to his postseason record by doing so this season. Um, if he wins one postseason series this upcoming season, I will be satisfied. Will I, will I count that as surpassing my expectations? Absolutely. Um, anything less than that is – is probably a fireball offense in in my in my estimation. I don't know how the front office feels. Um, I don't know. Let's say they go six seven games against some really really tough ass team. Um, is that enough to to to, to satisfy Kobe Altman in the front office? Hmm. Who knows? But for, in my you know just personal opinion, no, that's not enough for me. <laughs> right. I, I uh, and I get the, the the timeline that they talked about after they acquired Donovan Mitchell. It's 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 still there's a runway in place, and I believe that's the word that Kobe Altman used. Um, but you you kind of changed your expectations when you went all in for Donovan Mitchell because that was this front office's version of an all in move. Um, so they, they it has to be successful. Uh, but with that being said, man. To close out, I just wanted to ask you one last question. What is the biggest thing that you're looking forward to for the 2023-24 season? Ooh, ooh, biggest thing. So, man, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. <laughs> so, okay, so I'm hoping I'm hoping that they this 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 is a weird this is an interesting answer for the high level discussion we've been having, but I hope the city uniforms are good if they're going to keep doing that. Not that I hope that they're more like two years ago. Not that I was really like a uh, huge hater of the ones last year. I thought the concept was interesting. Um, and I don't mind that they do it that way, but like, just go back to cool looking stuff, man. Like just give me cool looking merch. That's all I got to say. That's what I'm looking forward to. And as far as kind of like the fun part out of the way, but as far as the serious basketball, you know, is watching from a fan's perspective, I just want this team to play like themselves, play with maybe more of an increased pace that I think has been talked about a lot this offseason, and just continue to have, you know, moments that are like, okay, like this is what being a Cavs fan is about. You know, even even in some instances last year, I I we're, we got a lot closer last year where I felt like that, where obviously I'm always proud of the teams, regardless of what happens, you know. That's the city. That's who we root for. But just being a team in the East where, like, I want the East to to run through Cleveland again. And that doesn't always mean the one seed. That doesn't mean always having home court advantage. But, like, I just want to be in a situation where I know if this happens, this is how we'll respond. If, if If something doesn't go our way, this is what we'll do to counter that. We didn't have that last year, and I think with how the roster has been reconstructed a little bit with these moves, with even drafting you know, guys like Amani Bates, 
I think that we can make that next step to be like, okay, this is our identity and we're going to play like this. And we're not going to play how your identity is. We're going to play how we want to play and we're going to run over you that way. And we're not going to have to, you know, pull out a last second three or have Donovan Mitchell score, you know, 25 in the fourth quarter to get the job done. So play like a team. And I'm excited just to see the next, you know, the next step, the next progression with some of these guys, man, you know, who knows what Evan Mobley looks like coming up here in October. Same way with Darius Garland, you know, it's time for him to put the league on notice. I'm a top three point guard in this league, top five point guard in this league. And I really can sustain this level of play moving forward in my career. Well said, my brother. As DG often has uh, been quoted as saying in memes, I'm feeding for it. <laughs> I really, honestly, I, uh, I I share the same sentiments. I hope the city uniforms are fire because I, <laughs> I, I, you know, I was kind of a fan of the one last season, but I did like the ones a little bit better two seasons ago. I actually have a few of those in the closet yep. right now. Yep. Um, and so I hope whatever they do, if they choose to honor a, a specific era in regards to Cleveland basketball, uh, I hope it's the, uh, the wine, like kind of like Oh seven ish jerseys, yep. LeBron. I would love to see them go in that route with kind of like an updated flavor to it, but I don't know. Uh, but everything you said, I completely agree with <sighs> Jeffrey, man. Thanks for joining the show. Um, appreciate, appreciate you for coming yep. on. Make sure you guys go out there and follow the Cleveland Pulse on Twitter, on YouTube. Go out there and subscribe to their YouTube channel. That being said, as we always tell you guys, you know how to reach us. If you want to be added to the exclusive Discord chat, you know what to do. Leave a rating, leave a review, send a screenshot of said review to itscavalier53 at gmail.com, and we'll send you an invite. That said, go Cavs and have a good night.